0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight are my regular summer panel, led by 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening, everyone. We're also joined tonight by the chronically overworked Julian Murdoch.
1: Uh, well, not that overworked, but I'm here.
0: And finally, we welcome once again our summer intern, Soren Johnson. Uh, Soren, this coffee isn't going to make itself. (laughs) Ah,
2: I can't, I can't stand this. You guys are too tough. (laughs) He's gonna well, quit. He's gonna quit. He's gonna find a better gig. I can't take this any longer. There's other
0: people who will put me to work. You know. Remember, Charlie. Get jobs. Of, other places. It is,
3: it is all for college credit.
0: <laughs> well, he's That'd already got me. what he needs. Actually, I actually wrote a course evaluation, and uh, I've been signing <laughs> recommendation letters for like weeks. I don't even know where this stuff is going.
2: All right, so I'm out of here then. See you.
0: Well, not hang yet. On. I haven't. I haven't sent off. I haven't sent off the course evaluation yet. But yeah, so. I do hope wherever you land, Soren, it works out well for you. And uh, if it doesn't, you know we're we're always ready to take on another unpaid intern.
1: And, and it's also not our fault, <laughs> not
0: entirely <laughs> our right. fault.
2: Well, I never quite thought I could make a career out of this, so we'll see. <laughs> so we another
0: can... another podcaster is crossing over to development. <laughs> 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 it's
2: an old story by now, huh?
0: <laughs> Alright, so circumstances forced us to postpone our Akron show, uh, so tonight we're discussing how strategy franchises develop, and also how they stumble, and why. So I guess I'll, I'll start us off tonight, because it's something that I've, that's actually been on my mind uh, since I've been playing Sengoku, and the, the first thing I wanted to ask you all really is, should, I, should we even consider Paradox Games uh, one franchise, really? Seems like we
2: should... I, I've always thought of them essentially as one franchise. Par- like the whole publishing The whole shebang. Paradise. No, no, no. No, the, the well, things that Paradox the makes type themselves.
1: Right.
3: I don't know. If they're all one franchise, no. I wouldn't say so.
1: I. I yeah, I, that seems to like a bit of a broad brush. I mean, it's not like they've all been made by the same individual dude. I
3: maybe mean, not that's not the important thing. I mean, it's the fact that they're all very, very different emphases. I mean... Hearts of Iron is a war game. I mean, that's a very different game than Europa-Universal is. Um, to say it's the same franchise, even though they have very similar interfaces and they both deal with history, um, to say that they are part of the same franchise is like saying that, I don't know, um, Sims Pets, and or if there was a Sims, a game of playing a Cat that was made from the Sims people, part of the Sims franchise, I guess, but so maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, how do we define franchise, I suppose? But no, I, I wouldn't consider Sengoku part of the Hearts of Iron franchise. Um, uh, I mean, I, no, I guess I don't know. I, I mean, I always,
2: I always think of franchise in terms of maybe the audience, you know, which is, you know, okay. it seems like everyone who, who's along for the ride with, you know, the EU type games are, you know, basically interested in all of those games that Paradox makes. And anyone who finds one of them. You know, obtuse and opaque is going to find the rest of them equally obtuse but, and opaque. But isn't yeah. that
1: a little bit like saying all first-person shooters that come out of Epic are the same? And which, which I yeah. think it's it's not really fair, right? We're we're saying that every game that Rockstar makes is the same. Yes, there's a signature, right? I mean, yes, you know, Paradox is known for grand strategy games, and even the stuff that they bolt in, like Mountain Blade, that they published um and 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 games that they don't necessarily develop in house have that sort of heavy strategy component to them but but calling that a franchise seems like a bit of a stretch well, yet, no, I mean, yeah,
3: I mean, just, are we, we going to consider rage part of the doom franchise
0: no, we're not, but that's okay the, well that, then no that's that's exciting doesn't, exciting that doesn't that so doesn't work at all that that is absurd uh why? Well, because Rage is a completely—I mean, Rage is a completely different engine. It's a completely different emphasis. It's a complete—I mean, it is a clearly—it it bears nothing in common with Doom. Uh, so I don't know really how you can how you can say well that's that's well. Just but a Doom then how game. can I mean, you could
1: say that Hearts of Iron and Gettysburg and and you know I don't know Sword and Stars, Sword of the Stars, and all those games were all part of. The well, same I franchise.
0: mean that, that, that's that's well, the publishing label. We 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 made an exception for the publishing label, but the stuff they developed themselves. Uh, I would say, like if you if you take EU three, uh, Sengoku Victoria two, I, I would say those things have more in common with each other than you know. I would say there those games have much more in common and th- than they have differences. Uh, but the, the reason I ask that is is because in, increasing it, it does feel to me like there is a similarity in, in the way these games are constructed. Their diplomacy system is almost always identical, no matter what you're no matter what you're dealing with, almost no matter almost no matter what era you're in uh the diplomacy is always very simple there's there's going to be go-to strategies that are going to work the names might be changed uh the the skin the skin might be different but in the end in the end you're doing something very very similar uh so i think there's a lot of commonalities there that i i think makes it easier to look at these games as i don't know part part of one part of one series um I don't know. It's an it's an, Im- it's an Im- calling it a franchise is an imperfect way of looking at it. But I'm also having trouble separate saying that these are completely separate games. But, but isn't
1: that t- a little bit like saying that you know a first person shooter that has a sniper rifle, a submachine gun, and a shotgun is the same as any other first person shooter that has those things? Because you have tactics you know will work. You have strengths and weaknesses you will know you know will work. And if you're a fan of a particular strategy in that game, you know how to exploit it. I mean, really what we're talking about is the strategy genre falling into tropes as much as a particular franchise. I, mean, I feel like we've already gotten off the rails a little bit here, but...
3: I mean, because the economic systems are entirely different. I mean, you can't look at Hearts of Iron and say, wow, that economic system, that's just, just like Victoria yeah. yeah, I mean, that's... Boy, that is a lot of similarities. And, you know, Victoria's got a completely different diplomatic system than Hearts of Iron, so we could at least make an exception for the Hearts of Iron series. Maybe we should focus on... Maybe Maybe we should focus on, you know... I mean, Sengoku, you can argue, is part of the Crusader Kings uh, system because it does have a lot of similarities there because they're both court systems. They're both about uh, dynasties. Uh, They're both about gaining power through marriage, which you have a little bit in the European Universalist series, but certainly not as much as you have in the Crusader Kings or Sengoku games. So I would certainly put it in that... Uh, fa- I would happily put it in the Crusader Kings family. Uh, but otherwise, I just don't see it fitting as one entire franchise, as much as one entire g- genealogy. I, 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 I guess I'll I, give you a family, I'll give you genealogy, I'll even give you no... I It's genre. I'll even give you a special genre, uh, because there really no one else makes games quite like this. But, you know, that's just me.
0: I don't know. for For me, I think it, m- it might be the fact these games these these games are sort of sort of built on the same framework, the same engine. Maybe it's a maybe it's a superficial similarity. Uh, but we're, but we're getting sidetracked. Yep. You know wh- where, where where I was coming from with with, with bringing up Sengoku though is that I, I do look at I do look at Paradox and I see them doing more and more with the EU three engine and. To me, it just the the last couple games have have maybe felt like things that InGen is not meant to do, you know. Like you're just they're just iterating. They're iterating too. They're they're iterating too much on, on their on their original design, and it might be time to think about wiping the board clean and building a game from the ground up. Uh, pl- playing Sengoku it it very much it, it, playing Sangoku these, these past few weeks, it, it very much felt like a game that uh, was 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 sort of. Awkward, you know, awkwardly put together. Um, very, very. It, it did not feel like it did not feel like a game whose interface really suited the subject matter whatsoever. And that that became that became a recurring obstacle for my for my relationship with the game. And, and it just and it just seemed like this was something that I guess that's where it, that's where my uh, my attitude that this is this is all part of one one series uh, comes from is because Sengoku's problem, and I, I would say to an extent, Victoria had this problem as well. Is that it's a different game, sort of being shoehorned into the same system? Does that make sense?
2: Well, here, here's the thing I think is interesting about about Paradox is that, and yeah, I don't want to necessarily define whether this means that they're all for one franchise or not, but they're, I mean, they're making games that you know everyone knows has a limited audience, but a passionate audience, right? But in, in many ways, the only way that they could make all of these games is, in a sense, if they can sell them by the bulk, right? Like, if they have, you know, a sort of a base engine that they're able to reuse over and over and over again and kind of slightly improve and slightly improve, you know, with each iteration, which lets them, you know, tackle World War II and 19th century world politics and and, global politics and Japan. Right. I mean, there's, there's no way that they could make a custom game that addressed all of these issues, even if each of these eras really kind of deserves a custom game. So, um... You know, I think they're they're often probably forced to compromise. And it's not necessarily that's the best way to make a game about the subject. It's just kind of the economic reality of what they're facing. Like, in, in many cases, it's a minor miracle that Paradox has been a successful uh, company for so long to make these type of games, which are, well, you know,
1: a really very niche. Ultimately. I, I sort of think of the of EU, of EU Europa Universalis as, as the, the example of where this can really work, right? I mean, EU3 played the crap out of it. And then by the time they get to Divine Wind, which I think was the last expansion we talked about here, which was yeah. only the summer, right? I mean, it was June, May, something like that. I think I played right. it in June. Yeah. Um, you know, they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel they i i believe it's the case that they actually like polled their users about what game to make next and they said well let's make Japan and so they made Japan and they didn't reinvent the wheel they explored a new strategic environment with familiar controls and and I actually I actually kind of dug it I mean I think I was down on it when we talked about it initially on the podcast but I played it a bunch after that and and I really felt like that was what in it? What I wanted out of a franchise that was evolving, right? It kept a lot of the familiar, but it gave me new strategic options. It made all the decisions more interesting. I had to rethink about things. You know, it gave me new uh, buildings and new unit types, and it, it changed a couple little core systems. And that felt like kind of exactly what I wanted out of a not $60 expansion to a game.
3: Yeah, I think I mean, oh, Divine Wind, you mean, or Sengoku?
1: Divine Wind is what I'm talking about. Okay. I have not played Sengoku, so I, I'll okay. be clear about that.
3: Okay, because I thought you were almost yeah. I mean, Divine Wind was a it was a cool little expansion. Uh, it added a lot of really neat. Uh, th- I mean, I thought the Asian stuff was tacked on, didn't work very well, but all the other economic development stuff it was, was actually really cool. It was uh, it was very nicely developed and and well it didn't done.
1: break and, the game, right? It just added little uh, tweaks.
3: Yeah, I I, mean, I think Soren's right that you know Paradox is in a special place, um, because of its the way it has to do business and the way that it uh, develops its games through its engine, and I, I'm. I mean, to go back to the topic, I mean, I guess, Rob, what you're saying is, you're asking, is, is Sengoku the game that shows that either this engine or this franchise has to be, is off the rails, or has lost its way, or...
0: For for me, Sengoku, Sengoku seems like their bridge-too-far moment, I suppose, it has been my reaction to it so far. Is that I is that I can see I can see the interesting game of dynastic politics that's that's underneath there, and and it's and it's sort of and it's sort of playing out, uh. But but there's a couple things that I think really that that, that I think really hold it back, and and one is um, you know if you're if you're going if you're going to make game games about like fi- um you know family relationships where individuals and characters really matter, uh it it's. It's important and also very difficult uh, to, to make those characters actually distinct from one another. And, you know, with, with the pace of playing Sengoku for how quickly time passes and just how frigging many Japanese nobles there are, um, it, it becomes very hard to sort of stay immersed in, stay immersed in the theme uh, and even keep track of the, the strategic dilemma you're supposed to be managing. You know, if you hit, if you hit the space bar and crank up time compression. Uh, if you let that run for just you know a minute uh, it could be that an entire generation of nobles who you know you painstakingly created relationships with uh, it's been completely swapped out and the bigger problem is you might not know it uh, b- because you know th- they're really just they're really just names and and little portraits uh, and you don't have much interaction with them beyond you know well in in my case certainly uh, beyond marrying off children to their children and sending them nice little bribes.
3: I mean, I, I like a lot of Sengoku. I like how I think it's really so invested in its setting. And I mentioned this in a blog post. I think it really does really work hard to capture that period of Japanese history. And I think it does it quite well uh, in a unique and original way, in a way that, you know, uh, Shogun 2 of our uh, the Creative Assembly did as well. I think this is a paradox way of doing it. I think it does it quite well. I think it's a big problem. I don't think this is unique to Sengoku. I don't think this is, this is a Sengoku is a bridge too far. I think this is uh, a part of it is due to the failure of the UI to keep up with the information. Um, I compare this to Crusader Kings 2, which I saw at E3 and how its UI is just everything's right there. Everything's so clear and obvious. Um, and for some reason, Sengoku doesn't quite have that level of transparency. And I hate the way that they've have all those little tiny little flag notifications. They did it in Victoria uh, 2 as well, the little flag notifications in that bottom right-hand corner. Well, I hate those.
0: That's If I could just break in there, I, I kind of feel like Paradox have become too good about trying to eliminate pop-up windows. I, I think maybe yes. the, the first reactions to games like Victoria might have scarred them a little bit, and they've sort of been on this course to try to reduce the number of pop-up windows. But the, the problem is that what you end up is just this, it's it's an overfilling inbox that you can yeah. only view one thing at a time, uh, and, and so it's very easy for things to get lost in there. Um, it, I kind of prefer the EU3 system where you might have a plethora, plethora of windows show up, but at least something would catch your eye when something important happened.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, but yeah, I think that, that's Sengoku's biggest problem, just lack of information. You can't find the information. Uh, As far as, you know, where it fits in the franchise, I think it's a nice evolution. I think it's an attempt to bridge uh, some of the period stuff from the Divine Wind era to to the Crusader Kings idea of families. I know that this strategy role-playing thing is something that they're actually quite interested in pursuing um, at Paradox because, you know, Crusader Kings is something they're really happy about. Uh, the response to it, and the return to it. Uh, and I think they're trying to get some of that with Singoku. I think it's actually... I'm not going to say it's a really good game. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a bad game. It's a game that I want to like more than I do. Um, it's a game I'm going to keep playing, though. I think that it's, it just needs better sorting tools more than anything else, better cues and better sorting tools. Um, I think the engine's fine. Uh, and I think it's a game that... F- I think its biggest problem... Is the, is, is the unlearning problem. And that's always an issue uh, with parad- new Paradox titles. Unlearning? And unlearning. And it was an issue with First Victoria. Um, you are trained to look at Paradox games in certain ways. And you can't treat Sengoku like you can Europa Universalis, or like you can Hearts of Iron, or like you can Victoria. Because the systems, even though the engine's the same, the diplomatic system even if you can say, oh, we get the same sort of stuff, the importance of the same kind of stuff is all completely out of whack. War is much more simplified and much less important than these family things that you can't quite find as efficiently as you want to. So it's actually a much more subtle diplomatic game, and you have to use your advisors in really interesting and creative ways and manage their tasks. That's something you don't find in other paradox games. You have to unlearn all, all of these ways you've approached every other game that looks like this, that Paradox is made. You can't play Sengoku like that. If you play Sengoku like that, you will lose. <coughs> so, And so I think that's the problem. Can, Let me, we, can I ask you guys
2: yep. can I Ask you guys something about the Paradox games in general? Do you think it's ever going to be possible that they can make one of these games in a way that it could cross over to a larger audience? Or is that just, um, you know... a would that, would that be, like, a useless goal?
3: Um, depends how... I mean, the audience keeps getting larger. Uh, sure. So, I mean, it depends how large the audience... Will. I mean, they're, they're turning a nice profit as it is. Um, right. So I don't think they're in, under a whole lot of pressure to, you know, we want to get civilization numbers, uh, for well, example. Sure. So um I, But, but could like, they? what's Maybe. the...
2: Right, well, what's the... I mean, is, well. It's not necessarily for a larger profit, but it seems yeah. like they could really use sort of a gateway game that's kind of like a halfway there. Um, yeah. But, I I mean, I only vaguely remember EU Rome, but it seems like that was sort of, a, was that kind of a simplified version of the system? And I, I knew that was kind of a disaster, right?
3: It was sort of simplified, but also sort of crazy because they had this character thing um, right. that was a complete mess in the initial release. Okay, the well expansion... we, can, we can move we, can, we don't
2: need to talk we, about we, that no, too much. I guess no, just the, yeah, th- yeah. the theory of like you know could the could these games be simplified or is that like um, well you know, is that sort of needless?
0: Here, I mean, is it is it a bug or is it a feature? I mean, it, you know, if you want to talk about like why paradox is a little weird, it, it could also be. I mean, they they've they've got their audience. Their audience loves these different settings. They like to see mm-hmm. these so, these somewhat similar systems applied to these new these new settings and they're happy with that and I mean if they if they, if do they really need a gateway game um, I'm not sure because that seems like the sort of thing that if you I mean you'd have to be really careful if you didn't do it right uh, your hardcore audience might feel alienated right. by it and maybe that's why you have the rest of the publishing line up there to back you up
2: is it kind of like uh, Paradox is the Grateful Dead of gaming? Is that is that sort of where we got here?
1: Yeah. <laughs> a little bit like you show up at the concert and you take a bunch of acid and you just let it go. <laughs> Look at all the pretty colors on the map. I I, I wanted to. Try
3: well, you to know what, you mean. what I mean. Well, you know yeah. What I mean, right? Well, let's broaden the topic out a bit. Back yeah. to you know where we we don't want to spend the whole time talking about you know Paradox's business plan. Uh, the whole idea of you know franchises, how they develop, how they evolve, and the whole point of is there a state where uh, a company a developer can push their franchise too far in one direction or just go completely off the rails? I mean, because they want to do a a gateway game or because they get, think about um, railroad tycoon, uh, for example. Well, I was actually actually going
1: to put Soren on the spot here. I mean, you know, Soren, I mean, you stepped in notoriously, Uh, you know, into a beloved franchise in Civ Four, And we always tried not to make this the Soren Johnson show, but come on, this is the topic, right? So, right, exactly. I mean, so you stepped into a beloved franchise where people had all these expectations about what it meant to be a civilization game, even what it meant to be a quote unquote Sid Meier game, whatever that means anymore. Um, and and, you had to wrestle with all these things. Like, what do you keep the same? What do you change? What, you know, how do you, how do you extend a franchise and make it interesting without abandoning what everybody loved about it before? So, I mean, I was kind of curious on your perspective on this topic. How do you even start that process of saying, what makes this game, you know, part of this franchise? What do you have to keep?
2: Yeah, well, that was a, you know, that was a big question. um, We had to answer that at the beginning of set four. And, you know, it's 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 a tough one. Uh, I think you know, Civ went through kind of this interesting progression. You know, I think Civ two was kind of like the the gimme sequel, right? You know, they um, it was more kind of, of obvious how you, yeah, yeah it's kind of obvious how you could extend Civ one. You know, it's like okay, we get some, some more units, get some more tech, some more buildings. Uh, you know, deepen the combat system a little bit. Um, but I think at that with Civ two, I think they still had this um, sense that that we don't want to mess with it too much like there might be some magic formula in here that if if it's a 3 instead of a 4 like the whole system will come crashing down
1: right and right? it was kind of it was um, and really it was sort of a refinement and a purification of a lot of what was in the original civilization I and mean, that was sort of Brian Reynolds saying hey you know what i really know how to freaking make games
2: yeah i mean it was uh, it was a very conservative sequel and uh, but the, the main thing is that there was there was headroom for that like there was lots of space for Brian to you know, take take Civ one and improve it. You know that's a, that's a thing game designers love to do. They love to take some game that they really enjoy, but they they see you know a number of different axes where it can be improved upon. Um, and uh, but there was room to do it in a way where he knew he wasn't he didn't have to really mess with the the, the core the core system, right? Um, so Civ three, you know, Civ three had um, sort of some development developmental issues, so that. Uh, you know, essentially, the team got switched halfway through, uh, and some stuff got preserved, but it was essentially a, you know a restart for the project. Um, and beyond that, with a lot of inexperienced people, so like like you, right? Uh, like me, yeah. I mean, it was my <laughs> first. It was it was my first real game, you know. And I, I don't think I really was thinking hard about these type of questions, you know, at the time. It was it was. I mean, I remember. You know, my first few months on Civ three it was it was like kind of like wow, there's just all this open space. I, I you know I was just like one of those guys right. on the forum who was like, I got all these ideas for Civ, blah 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 blah, you know, and just you know how <laughs> oh, about we do this and how about we do this and blah blah blah. And uh, um, you know, often a lot of those things, yeah, you know, I mean they they're possible. There's usually a kernel of a good idea there, but you know you, you just can't necessarily go forward with all of that stuff. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff in Civ three that never even saw the light, light of day that we tried out and didn't work and you know actually got cut. But you know I think there was um, there there was a lot of stuff that you know like resources and culture and a bargaining table and diplomacy that you know really became mainstays of you know the the series and perhaps even the the genre. Um, but and I think I think actually the the way they worked in Civ three was pretty good. I, I think we didn't. Uh, we also, you know, added some. You know, we also made some changes to to some of the core systems like corruption that didn't work out, and we also didn't make changes in places where uh, kind of a lot of those old systems that were left untouched in Civ two were really starting to catch up with the series. Um, where, you know, like you know, maybe the solution to corruption isn't to turn it up. Maybe the solution is to get rid of it, right? And maybe you know, city riots. Maybe they weren't really such a great idea after all, right? Um, and it was only till I think when I went through the whole Civ 3 process that you know I was able to kind of look at all this stuff. And, and with Civ 4, I think the best thing we did with that was throughout you know, the entire code base, right? That, like when it came time to develop Civ 4, know, I rebuilt every system from scratch. And if there was something that I just, you know oftentimes I wouldn't say it's laziness, but there was sort of a little bit of like, you know, I, I never really loved this system here, so uh, maybe I just want to implement it, right? And we'll see what it's like without it.
0: So hang on, though. I mean, you're messing—you're messing with, you know, a strategy icon there. I, I mean, how-, how did you how did you get past the whole there? Are- how how did you reach the point where there were no sacred cows?
2: Well, I'm not sure if there were no sacred cows. Uh, you know, like oh, or, really? What
0: did you want to kill? What did you want to kill? Tell me.
2: <laughs> well, I, most yes. of the, most of things are sacred cows. I did not want to kill, right? I mean, I did not want to make it. A real-time game, right? I did not want to lose the tiles, right? I mean, these are these are the things that I think are core to Civ. I did not want to lose the six thousand-year span of history, um, and some of these ideas have been brought up, right? There were there are people who floated ideas. Well, you know, let's chop up Civ into segments, right? Um, you know, why are we shipping a game that's all of history? That's just too hard. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's definitely been pushes at times to make. Uh, you know, a real-time version of the game. I mean, part of the reason that Brian left was essentially he fell in love with real-time games, right? Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if he, if he would have followed through and like made a real-time Civ three. I mean, that's not really the way the game was going. But um, you know, I mean, there's other people who you know, because turn-based has never been the sexiest genre, right? Um, I would say and- never.
1: Just needs a PR <laughs> campaign, really. Can we can we get good on that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, and. Um, uh, you know, Civ. You know, I think even to this day, if it wasn't for the previous game sales, you know, like someone would still like look at Civ and and be like, um, this maybe will sell half a million, maybe, right? Um, you know, the only reason that people anticipate it selling, you know, two, three million, is because of all well, that's what the last version sold. You know, it still doesn't. It still somehow doesn't compute. Um, so those are to me those are the real sacred cows. Everything else, um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think to some extent. I mean, maybe it was foolishness on my part. I'm not sure. But I, I, I definitely started the process saying, like, you know, we're not going to pretend like anything is taken for granted. Uh, like, for instance, we cut a, a attack defense, right? That was a pretty big change. You know, right. we uh, that was standard from the first, second, third. And that was in Smack, too, you know. Um, it was just, just part of the franchise. Um, and you know, even to this day, I'm not... I'm hundred percent sure that was the right choice, but you know, I think I think you also sometimes just have to to test things out. Um, you know, you know, I think Civ Five, you know, had that had a similar issue with uh, you know one unit per tile, that um, you know that's that's a big change, uh, and it definitely required some bravery to go for. And um, you know, there's there's arguments to be made on both sides whether it was the right change or not, but. But for some of these things, it's at some point, one of the iterations of the series just has to try it to stay, um, to stay interesting, I think.
0: Well, that's actually something I wanted to ask you guys. You know, we're talking about Civ 4, which reinvents the series you know, really successfully, or maybe refines it really successfully. But then Civilization 5 really changes it, and the reception is much more mixed. Uh, do you guys consider Civilization 5 a franchise stumble?
1: It's hard I, to see it as, I don't know. It's not um, a stumble. I consider it an exploration, right? I mean, I enjoyed the heck out of it. I played, I mean, given the number of hours I played in it, it's hard to say, like, total failure doesn't work, right? I mean, that's just not right, right? I played, I don't know, however many hundred hours of it. Um. So it's definitely a, a big step, right? It did a lot of things very differently, and not all of them perfectly by any means, but it's hard for me to say that it was a big stumble. I think from a sales perspective, my sense is it was a little bit of a stumble. From a gamer's perspective, I think it kind of did what I wanted somebody to do with the franchise at that point. I mean, I sort of feel like Civ 4 sort of honed a particular playstyle down to a sharp point, and if you were going to take it any further, you had to take it somewhere different.
2: Well, I really didn't I really didn't know what what to do with Civ 5, right? I mean, there was you know, it was not clear at all to me. Where you know where to take the game. I mean, you know, I had some some simple ideas, but but nothing that, um, would really justify you know another giant fifty dollar product, you know. And so, um, you know, he kind of just needed someone up, someone else to run up that mountain, you know. And it's 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 tough, you know. I've, I've definitely you know I've you know I know just Five's gotten some criticism, and I, I've I've told John he should be really proud of what he did. What what he's, yeah. what he and his t- team did. I mean, it's. It's a huge franchise. Um, it's a difficult, difficult thing to do. How to how to move Civ forward, you know? And I think there's a, there's tons of stuff in Civ Five that I admire, and there's there's many things that I saw that I was like, oh, I wish I thought of that. I wish I thought of that. And that's sort of the highest praise I, I can give the game.
3: I um, mean, Civ Five's. I mean, as a game I play a lot, and I still play. it. Played it last night. Played it tonight uh, too.
1: Um,
3: finished my game as the Persians and nuked the russians three yeah times.
0: you're like more hooked but than
3: any uh, of us, i think oh uh, that's the Civ mods that's i haven't played it in a while had uh, I'd, I'd go back to it this week well steam the
0: shows you're in the game right now uh,
3: <laughs> i have a game going i'll just say that i have <laughs> a game
1: it's, going but it's turn-based that's the beauty of turn-based that turn gets in there for hours it can sit there for hours just sitting 255 in the to come and back.
0: hours troy
3: I've had it running overnight a few wow. times. I forgot to shut yeah. it down. Uh, the thing with the thing with 5, has a lot. It turns, there's a lot of great ideas, but it's a game I go about We'll see where, a we game. see where
2: it goes. You know, the book's it's not a, closed.
3: No, and it's, the book's not closed on it. they've got a, I, I think actually, I think design ways design wise, I kind of think it might be. I don't know who's working the design now at all uh, at Firaxis, but they really seem to be focused on pumping out you know scenarios and new countries every two months or so uh maybe there'll be an expansion with some really new design ideas coming out but so many of the great design ideas in it like the military the one unit per tile and the hex space thing brilliant insight i support it i think it's a great idea i love it but it doesn't work with the ai and if you're not going to support the ai to work yeah. with that sort of a military system yeah then that great idea sort of falls down so the question is you know can a it's what I've heard in a post a few years ago, the whole noble junk thing, where you can have a game with a really great insight, and really brilliant idea, but it just falls apart. Now, I don't think Civ's noble junk. I think there's too many other good things in it to be noble junk. It's more than just the military system. But that military system isn't supported. It isn't propped up by the rest of the mechanics. Um, even the social policy system, it took a long time patch after patch after patch if that get any place really interesting yeah, where you actually like, had yeah, to make quite a tough while. and interesting choices about okay what do I do right now uh, you compare that to the civic system in Civ 4 where there were constant trade-offs between switching to one and the other I mean there was a there was a bonus and there was a malice between switching and there was anarchy in between here in, in Civ for you know, good design reasons they're like perks you pick up in an RPG they're like traits you're just picking up all along the way um, and that's an interesting way to do it, and a good way to do it. Um, but it took them a long time to find a way to make that interesting. Um, there's yeah, no incentive. To some there's, extent, there's no incentive Sorry. to you know uh, sample across all the trees because one of the victory conditions is you know you, you got to get them all. You got to fill up five trees. So you just focus on collecting all these little things within one group, and then moving on to the next one, and not really getting this mix-and-match civilization that you might in Civ 4, or Alpha Centauri or other games, uh, uh, or, you know, Crusader Kings or Open Universalis that have other national idea-type systems. So I think that it is a game with a lot of great ideas that just weren't quite executed or thought through, or they were rushed or something. Now, I play it a lot, and I like the game, and I give it a positive review. And I, But I will say that I do think it was a Bit of a stumble for the franchise, mind you. Uh, my wife thought Civ 3 was a huge stumble for the franchise. She hated Civ 3, hated yeah. it, hated it, hated it. Well, not my favorite uh, of the it, series either. Thought but. it went, thought what it was. Uh, what that did it she hate it? She, about it? She thought the games went on too long. with the corruption penalty penalized Imperial expansion too much. Sure. Uh, thought that um, it took. The it was the first game that had the worker settler thing. It took a long well, time. Almost well, almost did, but, uh, yeah, it, but took sure a long, it took a long time to You to the worker settler thing, and you had to have your population up to a certain level for both of them. And it was right. a huge lot of time to get going and get going, and she that wasn't explained very well. And she thought, she thought, she thought it was ugly, too, which, which uh, was interesting. She thought it was an ugly game. Hmm. So, you know, Civ three just was where... She, but Civ four, you know, she fell back in love with Civ um, that she right. played, She played that to death.
2: Well, well, corruption was a was a big learning thing for me in Civ 3. I mean, that was sort of a lesson that you can't just arbitrarily choose your mechanics. Like you know, I think like in a in a vacuum the mechanic is is fine. It just feels wrong to players, you know. They they feel like you know, they're they're if they want to build a, a vast empire, that's what they want to do and they don't want to feel like each one of their new cities is just completely useless. Right. Um, so it's kind of an emotional thing versus, you know, kind of a it's, you know, it, you can imagine a mechanic in sort of a uh, you know a sort of a euro board game that you know really limits how how useful something is after a certain point it being just fine but that's because you know the, the scale of the game is different the the story behind it is different and so on and so forth um
0: you know, I'm I'm sorry to take this even more in the direction of being yet another civilization focused three MA. Uh but Civilization five is such an interesting case uh, as far as like franchise development and franchise stumbling. Uh because it's not like, you know, a franchise like, you know uh, Command and Conquer, which would intermittently point the car at the cliff and just floor it over the edge like Thelma and Louise. Um <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, to
1: be clear, how is that franchise still alive after it's written into the <laughs> cliff with a gasoline-laden trunk so many times?
3: Because well, because we had conquered, there are so many different versions. Right. Of exactly. And even, even, and when, is it, when it red some, alert or when, is it not
1: red alert? Right.
3: And some of them went off the cliff, and some of them just kept going. Um, and, well, and some well, of them well, had is, Michael
1: Ironsides. Yeah. yeah well, but, well,
2: well, this is really one of the challenges for Civ is you only we only get a shot at it every four or five years, right? I mean that's. That's inherently going to make that. that means that like when you make a change, like going to one unit per tile, I mean, it, it takes some bravery to do that.
1: It's a big deal, um, yeah.
2: Whereas you don't, you don't necessarily have to worry about that if you're working on a Command and Conquer. Well, so, um, and uh, oh,
0: I just wanted to break in and a- ask Troy because it seems to me like y- that that problem you described, Soren, where you don't get to go in and revise the, this design that often. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, but it sort of seems like what what Civilization Five has done is try for more modular expansions you know here have some scenarios here have a new civilization you know instead of instead of wait you know here's your game and then a huge dry spell civilization 5 you know kept producing some content that would you know catch your eye uh, which actually sort of reminds me of paradox in a way in that the game isn't necessarily you know finished done uh kaput but there's going to be a little change to it, a little, little expansion to it. You're going to, you're going to, they're going to breathe a little new life into it. Uh, but I haven't actually played with that many of the, the expansions, and I wanted to get your impression, Troy. Do you think it's, do you think, think this is a successful direction for, for the Civilization series? Do you think Civilization V sort of offers a middle course in the way you expand and develop a game?
3: Well, they aren't really expansions, they're scenario packs and the civ franchise has never been good at scenarios. I can't think of a single civ game that had a really good scenario pack. Um because the the model just doesn't lend itself well to that. Um so you have a a, a scenario that's about the most recent one, the um uh the one the Mesopotamian scenario which is about you have to rush and build as many wonders as you can. You race to build wonders. And that's it, that's the game. It's a wonder building race, um, which takes a whole lot of the entire Civ experience. That's not really civilization. Um, You have historical scenarios like for the Mongols. It's, you know, be the Mongols and conquer the world as the Mongols. Okay, but you've that a million other times in other Civs and it's really just a straight war conquest thing. I can't think of a single civilization scenario that I'd go back and I'd play over and over again, compared to other historical games with scenarios that I would play. And it's, so they aren't really expansions in the paradox way, where you know you could you, they often have new mega patches that just change things dramatically, um, you know, change how the national idea system works in Europa Universalis, or change the diplomatic system in Hearts of Iron with a new uh, mini expansion or a mega expansion, which they'll sell for six bucks or whatever. Um, so the the idea of, you know, this regular trickling content, so far it's just nations and mini scenarios that really don't affect the core game all that much. It's the patches that are affecting how the game plays. And the patches are focusing on things like, okay, we've got to get the AI working. (laughs) We've got to get the social policies fixed. And they're making some progress there, especially in the social policies and balancing yeah, those sure. out, and in making the wonders more interesting. Uh, they now have all the ancient wonders of the world, because uh, they had to for that Mesopotamian wonder race. You can't have them building the Statue of Liberty. you got to get all the ancient wonders in there. Uh, so they have the Halicarnassus in, finally, which is a like, neat little wonder that i like to build. Uh, so, you know, there's little bits of content, stuff you'd normally get in an expansion pack, but it's trickled out, and it doesn't come with the design... The big design changes you would have seen in like a Warlords or in a Beyond the Sword, where they introduce, you know, all that great stuff we love, like espionage, woohoo, <laughs> uh, or the general <laughs> system. Well, that was awesome. Uh, you know, so it's, it's. Uh, I mean, the Civ system has always been kind of, you know, it's... It, not been great for expansions in general none of the expansions have well, really I've, made that have, have really I mean, pushed the design envelope in really great ways people want more civilizations, they want the Hittites here's the Hittites, have fun uh, and yeah. that, that, but, but, but that's fun, that, that's what people want, I mean that's what people want in expansions, that people want in steady content um, I don't think that's much to do with the development cycle of the Civ franchise, because People want Civ 6. I mean, as soon as you announce, as soon as Civ 5 comes out, there will be a thread on Civ Fanatics saying, okay, time for Civ 6. <laughs> I mean, so what do you want in Civ 6? Oh, here's what we want. And there's a whole new laundry list yeah, of Yeah, really. They did want.
1: all this wrong. We need to go back to the way they did it in Civ 2. Or, right? yeah,
3: I mean, yeah. So it's, it's, or, or here's what they did right and what we want to keep. Or here's what we want more complicated. Here's what we want simpler. I mean, it's, so it doesn't have much to do with the development cycle. That's how it is with every franchise. I mean, no, I, when, when SimCity I, Societies came out, people were saying, oh, this isn't SimCity. Uh, you know, we want a real SimCity. We want SimCity 5, and here's what it should look like. It's like SimCity okay. 4, but all the traffic lights should work. Um,
2: well, I, I've always hated sort of the the need for expansions, frankly, because it just, yeah. you know, it feels like with, you know, Civ 3 and Civ 4, you know, we tried to make the game that, you know, was the best we could, you know, in, in the format, and, you know, I think we did a, you know, we came about, you know, we came pretty darn close with Civ 4, and then, you know, with the expansions, it's just like, well, and now it's time to screw it up, you know. <laughs> like, you know, like you can't maintain that. Well, but but I mean, you can always. And go this, this isn't the... to denig- I'm not. Let me be clear. I'm not trying to like denigrate the expansions specifically. It's just the very idea that okay, we got everything in that we wanted, and there and everything else, any, anything else you'd shove in at this point would be extraneous, right? This is the right balance. This is the right amount of stuff in the game. So like almost inherently, the need to put in more stuff just kind of ruins that, you know. And it's hard to. Hard to add stuff that's like orthogonal. You know, the, the well, ideal unless stuff you just like unless oh, it's really like trans
1: dimensional, like you know, moving it into say the world of heaven and hell, right? I mean if you actually like do a total conversion, that's a totally different totally different Yeah, story, and I right? think that's
2: that's a great way to go. Like I mean, um I mean that I don't know. Well, I don't that, have the that, answer. That,
1: that, that would
3: be no fun. Everyone everyone knows that that it's better to, 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 to reign in hell than serve in heaven. <laughs>
0: Only, only one why. book of that trilogy is actually good. I mean, that tells you all you <laughs> need to know.
2: Oh no! We're, 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 you know, reputation is the NPR of gaming podcasts. I think, but uh, uh,
0: <laughs> no, believe me, with my intros and the subject matter, we've had that <laughs> reputation locked up tight for a long, long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, what'll be interesting is how uh, because, yeah, I mean, I think they're it's nice to see that they're still working on on Civ Five and still. Um, working on improving it through patches and not through uh, future releases. I mean, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure there's probably plans for that as well. But it's, it's it's nice to see that you know they're still trying to iron out the kinks. You know, a lot. I think yeah. a lot of the systems. I mean, the social policies. I mean, that's a that's a fundamentally sound design. Whether they got it right or not is kind of a tuning question. Yes. Um, but you can definitely make it's sort of an aesthetic design choice that you can say like, okay, we're going to try to make. A game like this, where your governmental choices are permanent, they're they're like a national character decision, right? And that's that just changes the type of decisions you're making. Like now, you know, when you go down one one of these paths, it's permanent, and it's you can't really make an argument whether that's better or worse. You know, it's it's good that we're trying both ways out. Um, you know, one one per you know, tile is is a much is a much bigger one. And it'll be interesting to see if that becomes. Um, Sort of a, a permanent fixture of the series, you know, in Civ 6 or not? Um, because I think there, I think there's largely a, a scale issue you know, with with that question. Um, you know, the, the 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 term on the forums is has moved from the sack of doom to the carpet of doom, right? Like it's it's one of the issues with Civ is there's just there's just not really that many tiles in a game. Um, the Civ maps right. are, are really not that large. Right, and um, when you put only one
1: unit on each tile, you've really limited your options.
2: Right, and if you look at most uh, war games, I mean, if you look at Panzer General, like, these maps are, are qu- quite large compared to the number of units that are on them, right? And that really, that's part of the reason why, you know, one unit per tile works for that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they go for, because I'm, I'm not... I don't necessarily think that stacks are a great solution either, you know, but it's it's something they need to look at. And then there's also kind of this higher-level question of, like, do you actually want Civ to be sort of a war game? Or at its core, should it really be a production game? You know, the winner should be the one who has the best techs and is able to produce the, bo- the right. most amount of, of troops. Whereas if you're in the situation where, okay, yeah, sure, the, you know... Your production capability is nowhere as high as the AI's, but, you know, it, it's sort of just feeding its its uh, troops into a meat grinder. Like, is this the type of game we want to design or should it be, you know, if you're way behind attack and you're way behind in production, it should be game over. Right. right? And that's right. an important philosophical question to answer for Civ. And that, that may be core to the series. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, and 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 certainly once you get down to the point of saying you're going to put one unit per hex, you start making it a war game whether you want to or not, right? And now you start having to do right. things like, well, okay, do you allow stacking, but you penalize it, which, you know, gets into Rob and I talking about advanced squad later, which really, let's be clear, nobody wants.
3: <laughs> I'm not nobody. I mean, if
2: you, if you radically increase the scale of the maps, you know, like let's say you turned every square into four squares, right? Something like that. Um, assume you go back to squares or you turn every hex into, six, into seven hexes or something um, like you know I could see how one unit per tile uh, could work but, but, but then the what does that, do? what does that in the hell. right mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. what does mm-hmm. that do to the rest it becomes a mess right What does that do to the rest of your game? so these are these are tough questions and uh, I mean it will be interesting to see you know what they do with with this in Civ 5 going forward because there's certainly things they can do to make one unit per tile work better. Um, you know, maybe they allow I mean I'm not sure if they maybe even do this already. They could allow workers to be in the same tiles with military units, for example. They already have be...
3: that. That, that. that's pretty okay,
0: really basic. Great. Yeah. I, I was I was just going to say that something that I'm i will be very interested to see is how Blizzard expands StarCraft Two. Uh, when you when you talk about, you know, games that are finished, we've got everything we want in the game, it's balanced, we're done. Uh, I mean that, that seems to be StarCraft two to a T. But there's going to have to be two more of them, and (laughs) it 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 seems like it's it's a real departure from how Blizzard has has done things in the past, Uh, and it's it's going to be. I'm really curious to see how how they're going to, you know, uh, balance these two masters really, Uh, competitive gaming and the need to expand this game.
2: Yeah, and then Blizzard is extremely conservative about their game design and their game balance, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm not criticizing that. I think it's, it's great that they do that. You know, I mean, they were very clear, like, we're sticking to having, like, 12 units per side, you know, which means that if we invent six new units, we have to take six units out of the game, right? Yeah. that's so conservative, it's almost radical, right? And It's, um, like,
1: it's like rewriting chess, I mean, that's really what yes. they've done is they've acknowledged the fact that StarCraft is not a game that people like me play single player to experience a storyline and experience an evolving strategic campaign. But it's a multiplayer deathmatch environment a la chess. Right.
2: And but I mean, can they can they really justify I mean, is it a is it a full price expansion or is there going to be they probably haven't announced it? I'm, I'm sure. I mean, is, is it going to be like forty or fifty? I mean, like if, if they try to sell this for like fifty bucks and they're adding like one or two units per race, I can't imagine that they actually could take out a unit. I mean, it seems like they're going to have a hard time selling that. But I, I don't know. I mean, StarCraft oh, I, is StarCraft, right?
0: I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know how the Brood War expansion was ultimately regarded by hardcore StarCraft fans. People but my impression, it like crazy. Yeah, it was very popular. Yeah, and my impression is, I mean, it didn't it didn't hurt the competitive scene at all. In fact, it seems like I started hearing the most about uh, StarCraft competitions well after Brood War yeah, had come out. For sure. So, I mean, for sure. you know, Bl- Blizzard ha- Blizzard has established a track record. I think what's what's changed here is that you know it took so incredibly long to make StarCraft Two, and they w- they were very much building it to sort of pick up pick up where they left off with Brood War in a lot of ways so this for them quick turnaround on starcraft uh you know expand alone as it were uh seem, it seems seems it seems very strange uh and it's it'll be it'll be interesting to see because it seems like a, a lot of the reasons the franchise stumble is just people ask them to do too much and i do worry i think every i, I think everyone worries that you know blizzard as a, as a part of activision uh still gets some of that pressure i mean i was you know what was it you, you pointed out on your on your blog, Soren, that the Activision CFO was saying that StarCraft two was actually something of an underperformer for them. Uh I mean that if you're a strategy gamer, that has to make your blood run a little cold.
2: Yeah, that was a that's a pretty shocking yeah, assertion. Um I mean it's I, I'm sure it made quite a bit of money for them, but you, you have to understand like the scale that, that they want to see, especially when, you know, you're when you're the CFO of a games company and you look at at the return on investment that a lot of you know free-to-play online games are getting, that you know don't have to deal with, you know don't have to deal with Walmart and GameStop and you know all all that other baggage, you know if they can see you know a 40 percent profit margin, you know some of these you know purely online companies, then they're going to start to wonder about, you know is is the way Blizzard doing things the right way. Well, Um, and, and
1: and I think the way that they've certainly announced that they're going to handle the Starcraft two expansions, which is that, you know, that, that heart of the swarm. And I think legacy of legacy of the void, I think is the second one that they're going to be coming out with that. They are primarily single player campaign expansions, but they're also going to segment the lobby, meaning that there will be eventually three lobbies lobbies for people who bought the first game lobbies who for people who bought the first two games and lobbies who, for people who bought all three, um, that implies that really you're going to see the multiplayer scenes settle down when all three are out. And that's, that strikes me as a weird strategy in this age when we're starting to see the business models shift much more towards league of legends, right? Where it's all free to get into the heavy competitive multiplayer environment and all the money comes in for all the incidental stuff. Well it's, it's very interesting to compare say for example the business plan for StarCraft 2 with Team
2: Fortress 2 right which is um, now because, free right right so i mean and this this in many ways i think there's you know for, it's funny because for years you know, game developers or game business people would complain that there's no sort of we, we don't have this this pipeline that movies have where they go from theaters to dvd to rentals to dvd sales to television where there's this kind of like long I don't know how to use the term long tail, but there's this long process where they can keep getting money from the game, right? Um, whereas games, it almost seems like there's this thing going on, whereas there's this long-term process where even if you start as a game that has an, an initial sale and maybe has a subscription for a while, but eventually you're going to end up free to play, right? It's like you're kind of working your way through. Yeah, I mean, these even different Sony's formats. starting yeah.
1: to admit that, right?
2: <laughs> right, um, and uh, you know, it could be that eventually, like. Stuff with a subscription just dies entirely. I, I, I don't know, but um, but certainly they've chosen very different plans, you know. And uh, Team Fortress is a, Team Fortress Two. Team Fortress Two is a sign that you can make sort of a traditional, you know, regular box you know box product, I guess, if that's the right way to, to term it, um, and transition it to something that that works as free to play. So I mean, just an interesting comparison. I mean, to some extent, the rules are different for Blizzard. You know, I think they, they but, can get away with saying, okay, here's this $50 expansion. It adds two units. You're going to buy it because everyone's going to be switching over to the next version for multiplayer. But I don't think that's something that other RTS games could get away with. Yeah, I all. mean,
1: it's a little bit of like does Blizzard get the free pass, right? They get the free pass on World of Warcraft, right, which is sort of the only big standing zero impact, you know, zero compromise right. free-to-play thing. Although even there, the first 20 levels are now free-to-play they right. just called it an extended our, demo.
2: Right. And ironically, I mean, it's it's better that way. It's just hard to get people to agree to go along with it. Like it's it's better right. for an expansion to add less than to add more. I mean I would love it if if this you know, if the Civ4 expansions uh could have added just a couple units and people would have been willing to buy it. You know, right. then I could have just really charge gotten just charge over three
1: dollars or something, right.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean figure out a way to to have it make sense, but you know, I mean it was it was just too hard for me to, like, try to climb another sort of, even if it's just a hill, c- you know, climb something else after finishing set four. Whereas if, if I was able to make, you know, really small targeted changes where I felt like there was a problem, you know, that's something, you know, I, I could get excited about. I've, I've often felt like my biggest failing with set four was not, you know, having the energy or the foresight to be involved with the expansions. Yep, you, know, you have like to I sleep that- sometime, right? well it was just such a it was such a big project and it's it's honestly the type of thing you know i'll only do a few few times in my life perhaps and so you know i wish i had been able to plan it out so i could have shepherded the project entirely from beginning to end if that makes sense i mean it's it's kind of like if i don't do that it's it's almost like not um I'm just not living up to my potential with that type of project, if that makes sense. Like it's a big challenge how to get the expansions to work, and that's because it was a big challenge. That's why I walked away from it. It was just it felt too hard.
0: Do you, Do you think though? I mean, do you think you could have made Civilization for if you were always keeping another idea in your back pocket, as it were? I mean, don't you, don't you think a designer, right. to an extent, when he's making when he, when he's making the game, the designer has to go all in.
2: Right. Well, that's, that's the issue. I mean, it, it could be that this is just wishful thinking, you know, there's no way I can kind of keep a one foot on both sides of the line, you know, um, because yeah, I didn't, I didn't hold back. Right. It's not like I wanted to cram a ton of stuff into set four. I wanted to get it. I wanted to get it just right. Um, but at the same time, you know, I wish I could have, I wish I could have thought of other stuff, stuff that that's not more units or more technology stuff. That's like a different format to play. Like, a, you know, like a, you know, the expansion includes something that's like a simultaneous, you know, map of the week type thing, where it, it really makes it like you're playing alongside someone else, but not necessarily in the same game. You know, some sort of re, sort of really radical new format,
1: right? That really like a justifies... total new game design that you bolt in on the side.
2: Right, exactly, but not something that's really fiddling with the, the the core gameplay itself.
0: Something else that you know, to, to wrap things up here, move us in that direction. Should franchises have? An endpoint. Uh, if if I think back to running, you're a clearly
1: of... you're clearly not an accountant, are
0: you?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I, running... I, 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 only the bad should have an endpoint.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's funny that 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 question cannot even register to a lot of, of business people in the games industry. I mean, like they just uh, like
0: your, your lips would be down. moving, but they wouldn't they wouldn't hear
1: anything. You, know? you, you could well, shelve you know. one for twenty years until you yank it off again. Witness XCOM.
0: Well, uh, or to an extent, witness Blizzard again, right? I mean, Blizzard knew when to call it a day with Warcraft. It, I mean, that wasn't the end of that universe, certainly. But you know, if we if we ever see if we ever see Warcraft four you know it, it's going to be i don't know to do so, to do something really radical with that universe to really turn it over to 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 tell a new story but but there's a point where they you know they that they were that they were done with that maybe that maybe it was just smart tactical planning you know well we want to make an MMO let's take this universe that people are really invested in but i think it's a little bit more than that you know warcraft 2 was you know was a huge hit and then they let it idle for for a long time because well, ultimately, they went on to do Starcraft, right? Uh, you know, Starcraft, you know, was another huge hit. They left it on a cliffhanger note, and they left it hanging off the side of that cliff for what, like ten years. So, yeah, I mean, I
2: think I, th- I think this is another example of just you know how the rules are different for Blizzard. You know, I mean, I think it would be a very smart move to let a franchise hang
1: for for a while, but well, like I, it's just and they have. it's just not feasible for a lot I'm, of companies. I'm, I mean, Blizzard actually, I would say, is the example of. I, I think actually we've seen lots of examples of franchises that have hung for long enough to then become nostalgic. I mean, Team Fortress would be an example. I think StarCraft is actually an example of a franchise that hung for a long time with no love until finally they released something for it. Um, you know, I, th- I think that, but those But those are all from developers that could afford to do whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it's very different when you're in a studio that needs to produce next year's hit. And so you have to make Gears 3 or you have to make, you know, the next Modern Warfare trilogy, right? I mean, those things are very different than being able to sort of put XCOM in a box for 20 years.
2: Right. No, I mean, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, for everyone else, essentially, you have to flog the franchise until it dies. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality. And like, if you're, if you're smart, I mean, one of the things that I think has been a great move for for Fraxis over the last, you know, four or five years is that they've, they've looked... For other places to to do something with Civ because that opens up the design space, right? Like it's it's such a hard move to make a decision, like okay, we're going to go to one unit per tile, going from Civ four to Civ five. But right. you know, if you make Civ Rev, if you make Civ World, you know, like you know, we can argue the merits of each of those products, but that really did let them, you know, reset the design book to some extent. Right.
0: That about does it for our discussion. Any other any other franchises you think are are, are worth bringing up here before we before we call it a night, Troy? worth bringing up in what respect?
1: We're going to talk about Wing Commander, because I'm all about that.
0: Was there ever a Wing Commander strategy game? There should have been.
1: There should have been. There totally should have been.
3: Just kill
0: Rathy Rage. We die.
3: Wing Commander, (laughs) kill Rathy Rage.
2: Well, I do find it so bizarre that there's so many franchises that that die, disappear for a long time, and there's people who just love to jump, jump on it, and then they're brought back in a way that totally alienates all the people who are waiting for it. It's just... Like
1: Duke. like Duke, like Duke Nukem, so bizarre.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that didn't alienate. Well, I mean, nobody was waiting for Duke at that point. It was, it was like waiting for a funeral. But I, I don't think that alienated the diehard Duke fans. But, I, but I mean, really, I mean, we're talking about games like XCOM, right, Soren?
2: Uh, and so, and so well, but I mean, you, you could even talk about stuff like uh, Lords of Ultima, right? Like, you know, there's this is you're just taking the name and you're jamming it into this completely different type of game and. You know, like how does that process happen exactly? Like, because at that point, clearly, you really just don't care about. Uh, you're not you're not caring about continuity. You know, it's it's dead. So the owner of the IP gets to do whatever they want to with it, um, and because they're not really they're not really worrying about the people who bought it three or four years ago. At this point, it's it's just this name that has a little bit of cachet, but ultimately they're going to do whatever they want to with it because. Um, you know, the people who bought it 15 years ago, you know, what? What? You know what's the deal? <laughs> you know, like, who, who are they? Well, so, how are they, they how,
3: so why do they bother using the name? This is the thing that just, can't, yep. I can't quite figure out. I mean, cause the people who will be attracted to the name are not going to be attracted to the game.
0: see, I yes. I, I mean, kind it's... of wonder about that, though. Do, I mean, do you it think had... there's sort of a morbid attraction?
3: <sighs> yeah, uh, I don't do, is it, what kind of, I mean, I mean, I'm in PR, so I'm not going to be advising my any clients? We should, we should do a, a campaign based on morbidity. <laughs> well, here's the let's thing: let's really disappoint um, people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's the thing: it's it's a sign. It's to me, it's more of a sign of just how hard it is to greenlit games in general, right? right? And so you just need some sort of little foothold. So, you know, even if, like, yes, this is this old IP and, yes, we're making it as a completely different game, you know, at least it, like, gives the, gives the executives this, like, okay, I see this is this, this is one step that will help, help us get up the mountain to create this new product, right? And it's, it's so much better than, than starting, starting from nothing. I mean, this is why so many old TV shows get remade into terrible movies, right? It's the same concept.
3: The whole automatic recognition thing, and you're guaranteed to get some free media out of it. Oh my God, they're remaking Xcom, but it's not my Xcom what are they Ooh. doing? With it?
1: Welcome to Fallout. <laughs> the story writes itself
0: well, but at least at least a fallout you know sort of sort of turns out well for the for the people remaking it maybe even the people who, who like the original game. I hope I hope but all those,
1: tra- I hope all those new mutants now no mutants allowed people actually love the game
0: but <laughs> that actually reminds me of of, of one last question. In strategy, we we do we do, some, we, we do see uh, developers take over other people's other people's franchises, other people's work, and I'm I'm kind of hard pressed to think of an example where that really turns out well. Uh, you know, there, there there's more than XCOM and XCOM: Terror from the Deep, but we tend not to talk about those games.
2: Um, well, Tro- Tropico made a pretty good transition, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and not fun, to, really not to blow sunshine yeah. up anybody's ass, I would say that Civ made a pretty good transition from Sid Meier to Soren Johnson.
2: Well, I mean, I was still... <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Sid could have <laughs> pulled the plug if he needed to, you know? Um, so, uh, I mean, we need to... It's not quite the same as XCOM. Like, Right. You know, I mean, IP floats around. Like, Master of Magic might have made its way to Stardock, right? Um, and uh, that would have been an example of, like, Something completely transitioning. You know, masses of Orion went to a completely different, different uh, group of people for Moon move, move Three, um, and you know, sometimes the results are are great. It brings something back, um, and sometimes they're disastrous. You
3: know, I think there are a whole lot of examples, are there? I mean, I know that I'm going to recommend to a client that they remake Seven Cities of Gold as a as a Leisure Suit Larry RPG. Only with Ooh. only only for Francisco Pizarro seducing his way through the Indies.
0: Congratulations, you are now everything you hated. I
3: was always everything
0: I hated.
1: The only question is whether or not you're going to get out to
0: make it. And if you're not, forget it.
3: Oh, Nevins, never. never.
0: <laughs> and on that upbeat note, we will bring our, we will bring our discussion of franchises <laughs> to a close. You can look forward to seven seven s- cities of sexy time. <laughs> <laughs> upcoming coming from whichever of Troy's clients is dumb sexy enough to take him up <laughs> featuring, on featuring the sexy cities tons of, of gold. Lowe. <laughs> there we go, sexy cities of gold. I think we're set. You know, I, I just I, I I think the emphasis sounds like it's on the gold there, and really, I think you just you need to put the you, you need to put the the yep. sex there or or boobs. Uh, the, those would those would work as well.
3: I don't pander much.
0: Uh, so we have a couple couple last notes. A reminder that Troy's misanthropy is continuing to progress, so the 3MA meetup has been changed, correct, Troy?
3: It's been uh, kind of postponed. Uh, it's, been, it's The schedule's kind of... I, we can't do it this weekend for a number of reasons. Uh, but it looks like people are interested in a board game uh, thing sometime this fall, probably in November, it looks like. i just got to find a house to do it in. Uh, John Schaefer says he might drive up and join us. Uh, if he, he says if, if, if he can get his car through oh, the yeah, snowdrifts. Oh, he's drips. in Michigan, isn't he? He's in Michigan, oh. so he might drive up uh, from Michigan to Toronto to play board games. Uh, no promises, but hey, if you can see a guy who... who I'm not gonna say he broke civilization, but you can you can always <laughs> oh, give him. but you you can give him your opinion on uh hey I'm playing it right now. Uh maybe uh sometime uh this fall. Once again, no promises, but I do want to get some board game people together sometime in the fall, so look forward to that sometime in November.
0: And if you didn't break civilization, you can look forward to not being abused verbally by Troy.
3: I don't verbally abuse, they speak my mind. Just dropping Troy
1: Potato bombs. Potato
0: as always, my thanks to Michael Hermes for production, and uh, a special thanks to you, Soren, uh, for making these last few weeks on 3MA really fantastic. I, I think I'd be hard-pressed to, to name a time when when, when the show's been better. Uh, your, your presence has been welcome, and I hope you can come back soon. And if you're dumb enough to turn in any of those recommendation letters, you'll be back very soon.
2: <laughs> well, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure to be here. I mean, I think you guys have put together a great podcast um, and
0: uh just it's been great to be part of it all right say good night everybody good night everyone
1: good night.